existential dread. That's right. This is the Creative Double Shot, a conversation about building the creative life you want. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Ginger. If you want more creativity in your life, let's talk. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Creative Double Shot. Welcome. We're recording this a couple days after Russia invaded Ukraine, and um, we both realized that we're sort of a little bit at loose ends, possibly as part of that news mm. is out there. There's always plenty of news out there that's waiting to, to bop us on the head and uh, kind of make us wonder if anything that we're doing is useful, helpful, and sometimes in those moments, it feels like pursuing a creative practice is a guilty pleasure if it's non-essential and do, it has no meaning. Right? Yeah. Just like life. Um, no. Welcome to the Marilis Podcast. friend, existential dread. That's right. And so <laughs> we wanted to talk about creating while the world burns, essentially. And, uh, you know, is it worth doing? How do you do it? And, uh, we, you know, I'm thinking right now of some of the things that are going on. You know, the pandemic's still out there mm-hmm. and everyone's tired of it. Oh, my gosh, climate. Climate uh, issues. What do they call that? Climate change. <laughs> climate change is still out there. Um, politics. and white supremacy still. Yeah, just, just all kinds of stuff um, that if you tune in, and I'll refer to our episode riding the digital dragon where we talk about trying to cope with having all this information at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you try and dial it back and keep it at all at arm's length, it's really hard, especially in times like right now, to keep it from seeping through and to not care, right? Like, uh, whatever, whatever's happening over there. When you start thinking about it on a human level, there are mm-hmm. people who have zero stakes in the, the political game but are swept up in all of that that's going on and they're forced to deal with it. Um, and so trying to make sense of all that and try to make sense of your practice without just ditching it all together during these times or, and, and probably more importantly, talking about the importance of it. Yeah. I was thinking too, just acknowledging, because we both have kind of felt all week long a little wrong somehow or a little distracted or foggy. Yeah, or, yeah, for sure. And we do have other transitions going on the first week of my job and all yep. that kind of stuff. But we, I think, underestimate how global occurrences affect us, even when they're not directly affecting our lives. We feel that, and I, I've been very aware this week of a couple of times having, and, and not to mention some egregious things that are happening in legislatures around the United States with well, yeah, mostly civil rights. Goes back to the, the politics, right? Yeah. Like just people acting Exactly. Out. And I think, and I definitely have been aware of myself stuffing those feelings a little bit. Right. And so... I think just acknowledging, oh, yeah, what happens in the world does affect our emotions because I have a tendency to immediately go to myself and go, what's wrong with me this week? I can't figure yeah, out. Right. Yeah, right. Well, right. It, it, it's wild how it manifests physically. Yeah. In, you know, some sort of low-level anxiety. It's always there. I like to layer on top of that, too, the environmental stuff that's going on, which we call the pollening here Ooh. where we live. And, you know, so you have like... 40 different variables that affect you on any, at any given moment in time. There are probably a lot more, but 
trying to understand why you feel this malaise or the fog and, and trying to just get past it because there are things we always want. We, there's stuff I want to do. And how do I do that when I'm feeling poopy? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and the other part too, you know, I think that we were talking earlier about, you know, there's a feeling of self-indulgent guilt or self-indulgence and guilt that play into this. It's like, well, how can I do this thing that is meaningless and while other people are struggling and having a tough time? Right. And what I always like to return to in my better moments is you struggling isn't going to help anyone else who is struggling. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You can't struggle enough to help other people who are right. struggling. That's not going to get stuff done. And I think a lot of times we undervalue. It's funny that we're even having this conversation, right? Because art is very important to us. It's very important to humanity, but somehow we still relegate it to, well, it's not essential. And why? Because, oh, it's not, you know, contributing to millions of dollars of X, Y, or Z in our household. But, you know, so there's all this stuff and it's like, if it's an essential part of who we are, then in times like these, it seems as essential as ever for us to practice it, yeah. you know, and there are a lot of ways you can approach it too, right? I mean, I think the, the first one that always pops up is this idea that, well, I need to do art about the thing that's happening right now. And the nice thing is it is a lens through which to look at the world and the current things that are going on if you choose to, or if you prefer to focus on something different to maybe provide a, a moment of just uh, escapism or hope for you or anyone who might look at your art. I mean, there, there's no wrong answer as to what your art should be doing. One of the cool things that we talked about is this idea that art is a way to look at the world where we are and possibly where we maybe want to be or where, where we could be, I think is probably uh, maybe a, a more, a looser way of putting it. And uh, I love that. And I, that's really come through in a lot of science fiction fantasy writing that I've encountered over the last probably, I don't know, five to 10 years, especially, um, because I think that whole idea is in the mix. I was listening to another podcast about this uh, author who I respect a lot, but he's definitely curmudgeonly and cynical. And there's this rise of this uh, type of story that's referred to as hope punk. The idea is that you're writing hopeful fiction. It doesn't have to be like Pollyanna, but the idea is that there is some hope. And this guy's contention is, you know, I think he just th doesn't think there's any hope. But I love that idea where you can take something and go, okay, well, we can examine some of these things that are going on in the world. In, in writing, of course, I think in some ways it's easier because I don't have to visually represent it. I can, I can talk about it and have characters talk about it and I can build worlds around it and stuff like that. But then you can also kind of take it like, well, I want this. Yes, things can be dark, but like, what, why do people keep on keeping on, you know? And, you know, it might be just the fight itself that's the thing. It might be trying to build something better, trying to leave a legacy for generations, you know, whatever it is. But uh, anyway, I just love that idea that you can do your art and examine what's now and maybe what, how you'd like things to be or what they could be. So, yeah. You know, I think of your visual art and it, and it feels, I think all art has the capacity to be immersive, but I think the visual art's really cool because it's something that you, you don't need to invest in a whole novel length read to look at something and get joy or mystery or any of those things that are, again, super important. I mean, there's the, that's one of the things as, as humans that we have this sort of extra somatic 
capability, right, to think abstractly and to find joy in, in things that aren't necessarily eating or sleeping or other things that we do <laughs> biologically. Uh, when you approach your visual art in, in a situation like this, what are some of the things that, that come to mind as far as? For me, what I really find is at times like this, I sort of narrow my focus way down to comfort type things. Like, so yeah. when uh, the pandemic first started, I started doing all those cats. I joked and called them the comfort cats or whatever, but I was just obsessively uh, cutting out shapes of cats and putting them on things. Yeah. <laughs> and then I moved to vases. And, uh, and then now what I realized this week is I got to, I started a new morning pages journal. Yeah, buddy. Anybody wants to hear us geek out about journals and pens, we have an episode for you. We've gotten a couple a couple of pieces of feedback about the other pen enthusiasts. That's right. So anyway, I started a new morning pages journal, but I got to decorate the cover. And I found that this week, that's exactly what I needed, something mm -hmm. small. And I wanted to do a little picture of my child and my cat in my living room and found myself just cutting out beautiful paper that I love. It seems yeah. like I always return to scissors and glue and cutting things out and paper, you know, just touching beautiful pieces of paper. That's It's like the, uh, the vegetable beef stew of art <laughs> and is. a nice crusty loaf of bread. Super comfort. Yeah. yeah. My day job has kind of bled over into my creative practice time-wise because I think I've been at loose ends and stuff as a result of the things that have been going on especially this week. And so I found that my workday has kind of stretched longer. I've been getting up because in the morning is when I'm most focused. So I've been getting up and normally when I write, getting up and doing some work stuff. And so my uh, novel, this read-through, I've got one chapter left and it's been a bit of a, you know, not a slog because I've every time I sit down to do it, I enjoy it. But to get to it has been, it's been taking a backseat a little bit. And I've found also that I've I think I've retreated more into reading rather than writing just because it, it is a little bit escapist and it's not, there's not conflict in there, but it's like, okay, this feels good to me right now. And, and I don't have to, uh, I don't have to actively problem solve while I'm reading. And, yeah. and that's, I feel like with work and with the novel, the active problem solving has frankly been a little bit exhausting, you know, yeah. just mentally. I want to unpack escapism real quick yeah. as we're just... It, because you said a really interesting thing earlier today about escapism, which has become sort of a bad word, like, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. you know, you're just not engaging in reality. You're just escaping That's or right. whatever. But you made the distinction between escapism and immersion in a creative offering. So I yeah. think about instead of thinking of sitting down to read a really good book, and get your mind, you're, you are, you're getting your mind off the world as it is and choosing the world that you're going into, immersing yourself in. Yeah. And uh, whether that's reading a book or doing your own creative practice. Or going, you know, I was thinking uh, of if you go to a, an art gallery, that's a very immersive experience, yes. you know, you choose to engage in this stuff and be there. And the idea is the immersion is, is I think of it as like distraction free rather than escapist. It's like, I'm going to focus on this one thing and really go deep into this versus uh, we were talking about, you know, reading on your phone, which is, isn't bad, but 
if you're reading on your phone and you're getting notifications or other, you know, there's a lot of distractions that are available to you within, right. you know, one finger touch. And so picking up a, a book, an actual book and, and holding that, that's what you do. You're, you're, you know, you turn the pages and you just, you're in there or listening to music. How often does anyone go and sit and listen to music without doing something else? Right. You know, I, I rarely do. Um, even when you go to a concert, you know, people are dancing or, or you know, drinking or whatever, <laughs> but just to kind of sit and actually listen to the music and, and watch the artist perform and stuff like that is is pretty neat experience if you allow yourself to do it without being distracted. So. Yeah, and if no one were making art, we wouldn't be able to do any of that. So That's true, yeah. It's important. Yeah, generally when you put stuff out there, then – Ideally, people are engaging because they want some of that, I think, that mystery, that sense of wonder, that thing, new stimuli that kind of just gets the, the wheels turning or the heart, you know, or any, you know, mind, body, and soul. And it's interesting because we're talking about the fact that the world feeling like it's on fire distracts us and we think, well, doing and looking at art is not what's important right now or whatever. But on the other hand, Art and creating is what provides the relief yeah. and the inspiration to keep going. Absolutely. I think of uh, in history, there are these periods, right, of strife. And in history, not just American history, but world history, when there's conflict, a lot of art does come out of that either during the time or at, right after because people are, that's the way people process trauma, you know, in a lot of ways or just try and wrap their head around it and understand it. and. Yeah, and connecting with other people. That's a big one. And his, it's a historical record. You're doing an important job of historical record keeping when you are creating art of your time. For sure. And that being said, right, just being in your time and creating is creating art of your time. Because <laughs> whether you know it or not, you know, there will be things that will seep through even if that's not your intent. Because whether it be like an aesthetic that's out there in that current time or perhaps a symbol or you know, any kind of meaning that's just out there or, or a, a mood. When they talk about movies in the 80s, they juxtapose early 80s Superman. I think it might have even been 1980. And just how like Metropolis and clean and bright. And then you get to like 1990s uh, Batman with Michael Keaton. And it's dark and Gotham and grunge. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and uh, that's really interesting that you said that because I don't think I've ever made that connection no. between grunge music and that right. whole vibe. But if you're creating in this time inevitably some of that will probably seep in. And, and for some people who are maybe more intentional about it, it might be much more evident. Uh, another good example of that is if you read like science fiction books from the 60s, 70s, man, it's a trip. I was uh, reading, was it Rendezvous with Rama by uh, Arthur C. Clarke? And I was like, man, it's so good. Uh, and then I got to the end and, and after they succeeded and did their thing, there was, there was a mention of, and then, oh, yeah, the after mission orgy. I was like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> Spoiler and, alert. <laughs> and, well, and, and probably to him, it, well, it's not, they don't, they don't go into it graphically or anything, but it was just, it was, it was a casual, like, one-off mention. And I love that. And I think about, like, uh, the dispossessed uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. But if you read enough of the writing from, from various times, you'll pick up these similar themes that kind of cross thread through people's writing. And especially in the science fiction crowd because it was a very communal crowd too, you know. So I think there was a lot of idea sharing and stuff like that. But yeah, and I think of the abstract expressionists in New York after World War II, mm. during and after World War II, and 
that started the movement of people going in and looking at things and going, my four-year-old could paint oh, some, yeah, you know. Sure. But the fact is, when you read about that time period and those artists and how they were collaborating and emoting and yeah. just coming up with all of this incredible stuff to process all of this stuff that had happened in the world, it, it makes it such a richer experience to to see it and understand it. I love the idea, too, that when to that point, I guess, is, is not just like in the moment, like, right, the world was burning, but it is, it's a way of also, I think, through the lens of time, not just immediately after a period, but further down the road to reexamine things, na- historical narratives that we've been taught and be like, well, wait a minute, you know, that doesn't really jive with what I know now versus what they knew then when that or whoever was writing the history wanted you to know or whatever. And so, yeah, I think going back to your point, it's just like a, some pretty cool record keeping throughout time um, and and continually done, right? We can go back if we wanted to and we could make art that's informed by art from 100 years ago, but has the current zeitgeist infused yeah. in it as well, you know, which is kind of cool. Yeah, which makes everything... Even though everything's been recycled, everything is also new. Right, yeah, because oh, you're just layering on that. more and more stuff. And, and as somebody said in an article that we'll, we'll link to, it's a blog post from Brad... Blackman. Brad Blackman. Uh, <laughs> we'll link to it in the show notes, but he references an article and then read the article. And, uh, but basically the idea is that the machinations of power and money are always turning and they're generally always the same, Right. The, the, the goals are the same. So we have ample opportunity to relive and reexamine this stuff over and over again. Um, and it's fascinating and horrifying, I think, all at the same time. And when I was 15, I had, I liked the song, How Do We Sleep When I Oh, yeah, Midnight Oil. But then <laughs> I heard it again when yeah. the pandemic first started and, you know, as the climate crisis just continues to elevate. And I was like, oh. Wow, yeah. I mean, well, it's amazing. And then going back and reading classic literature that you yeah. had to read in high school, and then you read it now and go, oh, that's what that was about. <laughs> right. Well, right. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I think about back 84 Live Aid, for those of you who were around, it was a pretty big deal. <laughs> and it was all about the star- starving people in Africa and trying to get, you know, raise money and awareness to get food for them. And, and of course... Uh, it's interesting, right? Because that's an ongoing thing too. Just that's still a need that that is out there. And uh, and I think of uh, Midnight Oil, like that's all dealing with the Aboriginals in Australia, which you know, being American and a fourteen year old in in the United States, it was like, oh, that sounds horrible. But I don't, I don't know anything about that because I just we didn't have the internet. And so you'd have to be like reading the Christian Science Monitor or something <laughs> right. probably on a regular basis to uh, to get that kind of information or New York Times. But uh, even then, like things felt heavy, right? There was uh, the Cold War, threat of nuclear war, mm-hmm. things like that. Right. In and, rural Indiana, we still had, we were practicing going under our desks. A little duck and preparing cover. Preparing for nuclear. I don't know how that desk would have protected us. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and I think about what your mom said that one time, oh, the world's always been a mess. And that's true, but we, again, going back to the Digital Dragon episode, we are in the information age and we are drinking from the fire hose nonstop if we choose to. And even, like I said earlier, if you, even if you choose not to, you're still getting, you know, I'm a soccer fan and so I'm reading headlines in soccer and, you know, today 
I read that Poland is refusing to play Russia in World Cup qualifying because of what's going on. And it's like, so, you know, you can't, unless you totally tune out altogether, you can't escape it. I guess the, the whole point of going back to the 80s and all this stuff is like, yes, the world is generally, there's always conflict somewhere. And uh, we're, we're very fortunate to not have it be as visceral here as it is over there, right? The conflict that we have in the United States currently is more political. But when you actually step outside your door and you see your community and you have your family, and again, understand that this isn't everyone's situation, but I think for the most part, just the world isn't burning at your front door every day. Um, usually that's not the case. And so I think a big part of all this too is like a way to be able to get to your creative practices to try and develop some perspective on going back to what you said before, you can't suffer enough to help those people. So what can you do and, you know, think globally, act locally, you know, it's cliche, but it's a refuge for me because it's like, okay, well, what can I control? What can I do that I can actually be helpful or, you know, even if it's just being nice to people, which is really hard for me. No, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean like that, I think that thing like smiling and, and just trying to be, trying to spread goodwill, things mm -hmm. along those lines can help kind of lift me out of some of that, those doldrums and sort of that fear, because it's all fear-based. Yeah. And there are hopeful things happening on a local level. Yes. I'm very excited about a initiative here in Roanoke called the Year of the Artist, and there are already like 300 artists enrolled in the program, and we're basically coming up with community art projects That's and awesome. making it a community-wide Let's get everybody involved in the arts and it gets people knowing each other, talking to each other face to face, not hiding behind digital devices or yeah. whatever. So I think on the local level, there are just neat things happening that if you're willing to step outside your door and become part of that, you can yeah. also get good ideas for your own creative practice and yeah, it's feel like part of something. Hundred percent, and I, you know, the struggle in all this, of course, is the pandemic, right? Yes. It's like, okay, well, how do I manage this? And you know, one of the nice things that that program you've had a couple or two or yeah. three Zoom calls, which I know everyone zoomed out, but it is still a way to connect yep. and see that there are other people out there. And uh, going back to what you were saying about the abstract expressionists after World War II, and thinking about the science fiction writers and how the like for. For science fiction fantasy, the conventions, the writing conventions are really important for keeping community and cultivating community and bringing new people into the community. And boy, there's just, there's nothing like it. And uh, because of our fear, whether it be of COVID or the political other or whatever it is, you know, we, we hamstring ourselves from being able to really tap into that. And I think a lot of us maybe have even forgotten what it's like to be able to get together with people that we care about or are interested in, in hanging out with. Yeah, you should have seen me when I dropped off my paperwork to the library. You would have thought I hadn't seen other humans in, <laughs> well, two years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And just that shared experience. One of the things we did do during the pandemic was go to the, uh, that Van Gogh, I forget mm, what the, the right. immersive Van Gogh exhibit, and uh, it felt weird. Of course, uh, there was social distancing and stuff, but it was just like, ah, there are all these people we didn't know just soaking this thing in. And it was, it was beautiful. It was a really nice reminder of just how, man, people most, for the most part, just want to live their lives and explore and be interested in stuff. And, uh, 
And then when we have all this stuff come crashing down, that almost feels unreal. You know, of course, it's easy for me to say because I'm not in, in Ukraine, but it feels unreal here. I think it's important to remember that while, yes, it is real there, it is not happening here. And it's, you know, so like make the most of where we are now and, and just try and spread that art, art love, I guess. Yeah. Appreciate the and, moment. Yeah. And, and I mentioned the, the extra somatic thing, you know, like as humans, we have this, this ability to engage in the abstract. We're hardwired for that and we need that, you know, and preferably it's, it's something that gets us excited rather than scares us. And I feel like art generally, art can be scary, right? Like you can, if people are <laughs> exploring a moment through their art, it can be scary or dark or whatever. But at the same time, that's sort of one of the beauties of it because it's like, oh, I can consume this art. I can look at, oh, oh I can watch a film. I can look at an exhibit. I can read a book. But after I'm done with it, I can leave it. It's a very nice luxury to be able to explore some darker things without having to live them, right. you know. And so it's a little tangential to the, the topic at hand. But I think uh, when we think about creating art, just remember that generally someone out there, whether it's somebody, you know, your family or whatever, if you're just doing it for your own fun or, or, or even yourself, or people you don't know, are they're looking at this stuff too. And, and they have an opportunity to derive some maybe hope or understanding or, yeah, yeah different stimuli. We mentioned. That's right. There's no like hard, fast answer other than that creative practice, all that stuff is worth doing during these hard times. And uh, creating and pursuing your creative practice is a nice way to potentially look at that stuff through, through your own lens. I mean, it's worth doing. Yeah. Like go easy on yourself, you know, recognize that world events could be affecting you and your mood and that's okay. Try not to stay there. Yes. Recognize that your own creativity is important too. Your own well-being is important. That's it. I, yeah, like thinking of it as a self-care on an individual level as well as on a community level, right? I mean, if we have these communities that we get to interact with and people are doing that, the discourse is going to be generally probably more hopeful. And, and if not, there are enough people that can help lift you out of the, the dark places too, potentially. Yeah. With that in mind, I aim to finish my edits this weekend Ooh. so I can get into the, the nuts and bolts work. But I also know that if I'm feeling strange and odd and off, that it, that's okay too. And it can wait another week if it needs to, you know? Yeah. How about you? What are you? Bringing it, making it real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doing it for the children. <laughs> so what are you, uh, what's your plan? Are you just going to continue to do some more comfort art and stuff like that as you Oh, you know, because you're in this transition moving into the job and you're kind of in this liminal yeah. space that uh, in some ways is, is a little bit freeing. Yeah, because I'm still sort of in my training period. So everything's a little up in the air in terms of what my regular schedule might be. Yeah. So a lot of my energy has been going toward, you know, what am I going to wear to work? And what am I going <laughs> to take for lunch? That's right. Like things I haven't had to think about yeah. in a long time. But that's a daily, that's another thing, right, is that our daily lives are all part of this, you know, not trying wow. to think of it as two totally separate things. That reminds me, uh, I've been reading this book called We Learn Nothing. Can't remember the mm -hmm. author, I'll put a link to it. It's fantastic. It's this uh, political cartoonist guy. The first story in the book is him getting stabbed in the neck. He, he, <laughs> just... he like relates the story about getting stabbed in the neck and it's just insane. And, and, you know, he was, he was like, two millimeters from having his uh, carotid artery My. cut and 
But he talks about, and I think this is really interesting, especially in in the context of this episode, is that, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, new lease on life, all this stuff. I'm going to live, you know, just, I, I feel like when, when close people die, in a, you know, we do the same thing. Like, oh man, life's too short and, you know, everything's precious and, and, and it's unsustainable. Right. Just like the the dread, you know, he was talking about finding himself getting annoyed and pissed off at, at like the <laughs> same ridiculous mundane stuff that he used to get pissed off about before the, the <laughs> next stabbing. And he was just like, yeah, it's just, you, you can't sustain it. And, and I think he made the point that in some ways that's probably a survival mechanism, right? Because it, we need, we need sort of that everyday stuff to kind of anchor us in the world and not always be thinking about the deepest Right. thoughts on earth. You know, it's okay to go, well, do I want crunchy peanut butter or creamy <laughs> peanut butter? Uh, anyway, I just, I, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but because it, it's such a yeah. good book and uh, he wrote it and I think it published in 2012. And it's funny, of course, because there are some things in there that are, are a little bit dated just by virtue of what was going on in the world at that time. But I was reading, I'm like, wow, this feels like it could have been written yesterday. So yeah, <laughs> again, the world is always, always a dumpster fire floating down a polluted <laughs> river. Uh, and it's not, right? Like, ultimately, right. like, step outside your front door and take a look, and uh, hopefully there's not a Russian tank out there. <laughs> I know, that was pretty dark. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode. Uh, hopefully it wasn't too heavy, um, but we got to believe that a lot of other people out there are kind of working through a lot of this stuff, too. And not, you know, I mean, the Russian invasion is just one more thing in uh, an ongoing story of things. So I'm sure for listeners, there are a lot of different things, you know, you yes. can point to that, that really weigh on your soul and uh, just keep on keeping on. And hey, if you want to ever reach out, you can always uh, find us on the website, creativedoubleshot.com. So thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next time on the Creative Double Shot. See ya.